Welcome to another edition in this series of talks organized on behalf of SPIDERS, the sole platform for initiating discourses on equitable and resilient society. These talks complement a series of papers published on the SPIDERS platform dedicated to outlining the building blocks of post-capitalist political economies and societies, not oriented around growth and profit, but rather good lives and a flourishing web of life in times of profound planetary change. Hosting these talks are founder of Peer-to-Peer -Peer Foundation, Michelle Bowens, and myself, Ruk Kranz. Today, to help us outline some of these building blocks, we are joined by distinguished guest, Dr. John Boswell Cobb, Jr., who is author of Eco-Friendly Society, a world in which individuals live a good life in harmony with society and nature. And we are also joined by special guest, Reverend Dongwoo Lee, Director of Ecological Civilization Korea and longtime collaborator of Dr. Cobb. Welcome both. Thank you. So instead of us, uh, again, doing the introductions, uh, we thought it would be great uh, for our, our audiences to hear uh, directly from yourselves um, how you describe uh, your backgrounds, interests, and research. And uh, propose, yeah, we could start with you, John. Okay. Uh, thank you for this opportunity. I will try to be brief, but you know, one's own history and life is the most difficult thing to be very brief about. <laughs> but uh, I became interested while in graduate school at the University of Chicago in process thought. And specifically, I became most interested in the philosophy of Alfred North Whitehead. And he has uh, not been acceptable in recent, in the, during his life, he was highly recognized, but universities became much more guild-oriented or uh, Wissenschaft-oriented, and why it doesn't fit into any one Wissenschaft. He's, he breaks all those boundaries. And so he is taught in very few American schools, and I became concerned that he would be uh, forget, forget, not totally forgotten, but ineffective when I thought he had far more wisdom than the vast majority of the philosophy that is that fits into the, the guild. So I organized what we call the Center for Process Studies. And when I say I, in most cases, other people were involved, but <laughs> that gets complicated. And um, the Center for Process Studies was located at the School of Theology at Claremont, where I was teaching systematic theology, which is for me also philosophical theology. And um, we have a journal which actually began publication before the organization. And from the beginning, we wanted to have conferences and that would show the relevance of Whitehead's work to the real problems of the world. The, uh, the first conference we held was in Bellagio in Italy. And that was on the relationship of mind and mind in the world, there are many ways of putting the issue, but how does human experience fit into the into the world? And the second conference was on process thought in Buddhism, because Buddhism is the most ancient and widespread form of process thinking. And our metaphysics is really very similar to Buddhist metaphysics. And uh, the Center for Process Studies uh, organized to work in China and Korea and Latin America. Its work in China has been by far the most successful. There are 35 centers for process studies in Chinese universities, which 
whereas practically none in the West. So it's, uh, I think that's partly because Chinese thought is already quite processive, whereas Western Indo-European languages are fundamentally substantialist. And in, in the last, although we have been working in Korea for some time, uh, there's been a real breakthrough recently when the mayor of Seoul became interested in our work. And Dungu could tell you much more about that than I, but we we're excited about the fact that uh, Korea has kind of caught on or become interested. And I think it has a chance and of really being a world leader. I should add that Whitehead's philosophy is inherently related to the whole of culture or the whole of civilization, not just to some one part of it. And uh, we picked up from the Chinese the term ecological civilization, which was first used in the UN documents. And it is ecological civilization that we think is the alternative to the self-destructive world in which we now live. And that I think is what has been most important in, in Korea but then it, Koreans are not anti-intellectual like Americans. So they have no objection to learning a philosophy that undergirds vision and activity. Sorry not to be brief. <laughs> Thank you so much, John. And Reverend Dongwu, uh, welcome to say a few words. Uh, <clears throat> Thank you very much for this opportunity. I'm so glad to meet you all. And uh, um, John already covered very much everything. So I'm going to be very brief. Uh, so uh, I am uh, Reverend Dong Lee and I'm working on PhD um, at the Claremont School of Theology uh, under uh, John's leadership. Uh, and um, I've been working at the Center for Process Studies, as John mentioned, uh, for a long time as a director of Korea project. And um, we have been doing, uh, trying to make some connection and make, make bridges between the philosophy with the, the real life, specifically on changing the policies uh, in Korea. So, and when we start to working um, as the ecological civilization, ECOCIV, and uh, ECOCIV Korea. And uh, we worked with the uh, Seoul Metropolitan Government and uh, Seoul Institute uh, on the conferences. So we had four consecutive annual conferences with the partners in Seoul. And um, it has been uh, successful. So it's really the beginning of the new uh, movement in Korea, but uh, we are so excited uh, to become more active and also making a healthier and organic network with the partners who are interested in this way. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, so we thought it might be a good idea to give uh, John at this point uh, a little bit of uh, time to address uh, kind of the a basic outline of, of his article. And if we understood right, it focuses a lot on the notion of community. Uh, so yeah, we'd propose uh, uh, John can, can take the lead. Thank you. Uh Many years ago, in the 80s, I teamed up with an economist to write an alt to write a kind of economics that would be an alternative to the dominant economic, the overwhelmingly dominant economics in the Western world, the capitalist version, which um, is based upon an extreme individualism. 
it's uh, very interesting that when, uh, well, I think it was Mar uh, Thatcher in England was once asked, but what about society? There's no such, she said, no such thing. Because all that society is, is a lot of individuals. The individuals, uh, any relations that the individual has are not of importance. They, they are not really what the individual is, incidental. And the individual is posited to be self-interested, not to be affected by relations. I think this is a totally false understanding of human beings. And uh, we, we much prefer the idea that people are persons in community, that the more they involve themselves in the, they, all of us are part of communities. We, of course, would not survive birth if we were not part of part of communities didn't certainly we wouldn't develop as human beings so it's not that human beings have not been in community but that feature of human beings has been systematically ignored by economics and in my view the real theology of the united states is taught in graduate schools of economics and not in schools of theology and but I think the one we teach in the schools of theology is better than the one that's taught the view of human beings. So uh, it seems to me that as a theologian, I needed to deal with the, the way of understanding reality that was really shaping governmental actions and the whole educational system. When, we, so we thought our, we were writing a book on the economics of for community, but the publisher did not like that title and the book came out as For the Common Good, which is not a bad title, but it doesn't make it quite as clear that what we are doing is challenging the economic system. So I'm stubborn. I still think community is immensely important and that the, the worldview that the modernity has had has, when applied, is always destructive of community. What we call development is to get people to function as isolated individuals. The net result is almost always that people are less happy than they were when they were left alone. I'm not opposing economic development, but we economic development should be subordinated to what gives people a rich and meaningful life. And uh, up until now, Virtually all countries, with the possible exception of Bhutan, measure their successes in a terrible way. The more successful a nation is, the less likely it is people are happy. And um, the success simply means more market activity. So when I have a, a title as complex and rich as the one that I was given, I decided to focus attention on this issue that for me has been so important for such a long time that, the, uh, well, it's, it's expressed in one other way I might mention in universities, we used to have, in colleges at least, departments of social studies. Now you only have social sciences and the science deals only with what is repetitive. And that means that history, which deals with what is singular, can only happen once in a very particular time, but is disappearing. And I think that's another expression of a very bad metaphysics that dominates 
both our politics and our education and our culture. It's maybe in the it's worse in the United States, I think, than in Europe, but it's not good in Europe either. <laughs> okay, so I decided I would write primarily about community. And of course, first we need to just have a little definition. I think people understand what it is, even if they've never defined it. But it certainly means that cooperation is more fundamental than competition. Whereas in the way in which our universities operate and in which the school system operates, and I keep telling the Chinese, who are by far the ones most interested in what we have to say, that their whole school system prepares people for the capitalist world and does not prepare people for us a socialist world or for a community world. Because, you know, only half the people can pass the exams. So from the age of four, one is studying to be part of that half that passes. It turns education into rote memorization. Uh, so I'm, I'm not saying, I'm, though I said we have more acceptance in China much more than we do in the United States. I'm a, I consider the vice president of China a friend, which is totally different from any relation I've had with, with any government figure in, in the United States, I can assure you. Incidentally, he is not a communist. People have a false view of the, of the nature of the Chinese government. They have, the parliament has four different parties in it, anyway. I don't want to get off on too many tangents, but they're all important. So, um, saying first that it is that in, in a community, people are jointly concerned about the group as a whole. And they, they try to advance the well being of the group as a whole. And this means that although they may have competition, I don't think it's terrible to compete. I think having best to compete to see who can contribute the most to the community. I spend some time on sports because sports is an area in which competition is very obvious, but the, the teamwork is also very obvious. And I, I think that there is an overarching commitment of the whole of, say, the people who are really interested in soccer, in the sportsmanship of soccer. If soccer teams degenerate into real enemies of each other, they do anything they can in order to fool the umpire and the, it would, there would no longer be any soccer. It would, it would be as self-destructive as the way we act in international affairs. But so it's, I, I, I want to, to stress that competition can have a large place, but it's always ultimately for the sake of something beyond the competition. And that unites people, okay? So that's, I, I spend some time on that. But the, another very important point is that uh, communities, while they are essential for human, genuine human existence, for happiness, for well-being, also can be the source of terrible evils. Because if you are, if, if you are uh, a Frenchman, and you and the, all French people do have a certain community relationship maybe not every individual in France belongs to that community, but nevertheless, you understand what I mean. National feeling is a community feeling and people sacrifice immensely for their nations. But uh, when France, when the French are a strong community and the Germans are a strong community, if their relationship is competitive, you get wars, and the last century was one in which we had two terrible wars, 
obviously other countries were involved. I'm just, but I think you understand. I'm simplifying vastly, okay. But at the end of that war, the leaders of France and Germany thought enough is enough. And I, I think it was one of the most remarkable events in history when de Gaulle and Adenauer said, France and Germany have common interests. And we will make those common interests more important than our competitive interests. And the European Union was born. So things, not everything that is happening in our history is bad, but there's some good things that happen. And of course that doesn't put an end to problems, but surely Europe has been better off since World War II than it was between the wars or in the years leading up to the first war and so forth. And it, it's sometimes called the European community. So I like to talk about very important that we have strong local communities. Uh, a, a child growing up without being in a healthy community has very little chance of becoming a healthy person. But it is just as important that these communities become communities of communities. So we need community at every level. And our goal is to have a global community, which I think could be composed of continental groups like the European community better than of, the, there are too many countries, so to speak. So we probably need the intermediate level. I, I propose that at, at least, which means uh, everything I'm asking for can, requires a great deal of thinking. How, how would one divide the world up into communities of nations that then jointly become the community of communities of nations? And we have a we have a world loyalty. The, um, the philosopher I follow talked about world loyalty. He thought that was the religion we needed. And uh, all of the great religions have in them tendencies in that direction. So this, this is not a total break but almost all of them have allowed themselves to be co-opted by nationalism in the past few hundred years. And of course that's complete heresy from the perspective of the founders and the greatest leaders within them. But in the United States, we worship money and national greatness God comes maybe third place, fourth place, or maybe not at all. And the, and the God that is third place is not God. So I, I'm doing all of this, I consider as a Christian theologian who believes that we have much to learn from other traditions, but I don't think just trying to find the similarity or identity of all the religious traditions is a useful, I think it, we lose the richness of all of them in the process of trying to say they're all alike. They're not all alike, they, but each one can enrich all the others. That's again, a community of communities is the language and imagery that I like to use. So I also in the paper indicate what the opportunity of Korea giving world leadership is, and it's, it's real. China has so far been in the lead, but uh, Korea is the size of one Chinese province. And uh, I, I think it's possible for a country of that size to organize itself as a community of communities and it already has many of those features. This is not, I mean, it, it's a radical change to really image yourself that way and shape your economy that way. I mean, 
we need an economy even at the lowest level with the problems that we are facing local economy well i think that the global structures will probably collapse but local communities that can feed themselves and meet their other essential needs they can weather uh, weather a lot of storms but in the united states we have so few of them the average food on our plates has traveled 2000 miles at least that's the absolute opposite of what we need to be developing so when i talk about local communities i mean local communities that can meet their own needs when they have to i have no objection to exchange but to be dependent for your existence on exchange as 95 98% maybe of Americans now are means you are not ready to deal with what with what we are facing probably i've spoken too long but <clears throat> perfect thank you john um so uh, we thought maybe uh, it would be interesting for uh, Reverend Dongwu to uh, maybe mention some of these uh, latent potentialities we could say that uh, John just described in the Korean context. Yes. Uh, so, John, what about the the concept of the communities of communities? So that means the individuals, uh, even though in the natural status, they compete one another in each other, but when they have the feeling of the community, when they belong to one community, they don't have to com uh, compete one another, but they cooperate for a greater good. Yes. And, um, and also even the sports team, you know, when they have, when they're belonging to individual each teams they compete one another however when they have the sense that they're all in the same field they're all in the same sports then they can get into the greater concept of the community so when they have that uh, the bigger level of the concept of community they also can uh, cooperate one another so that is the important concept the Korea uh, has to learn and also accept uh, to um, especially in, in this very difficult situation uh, under the COVID-19. So when we have a concept that all Koreans are the same people and one community and uh, every individual, every entities are interconnected one another. So one person's uh, uh, matter is also the other person's matter. So they're all connected one another. One person's good also connected to other person's good. So when we have that kinds of feeling and, and concept, the Korea would be better off uh, than have the uh, totally individualism society. And I, recently I read a very interesting article coming out from the Seoul National University. And I, I cannot uh, remember the exact name of the uh, researcher. Uh, however, the research um, says that uh, the reason why the Korean people and Korea as a nation can, can defeat the COVID-19 so successfully. And uh, the research says, the Korean people has the sense of the individualism, but at the same time, they have the communal feeling too. So these are very paradoxical. However, the research uh, indicates that Koreans have that kinds of very paradoxical feeling at the same time. So uh, every individual, they act like the individualism, However, they also think about the community 
and the, the greater good of the community or the society is very important for them because they know that the, the greater good uh, and the peace of the community, the greater community is directly connected to their well-being. So that is the, uh, the one reason that the Koreans are so dealing with well uh, in COVID-19 situation. So um, I believe uh, with that research, I think John's uh, writing um, direct the same uh, goal that the Korean people have to um, accept and learn. I, I would like to make one comment. I think that you can have, that persons are very individual. Each person is different. And each person has a different contribution to make and needs different things. So I don't think it's a paradox, but it's simply the complementarity. You have a much better community when you have strong persons with real difference from each other. And I, I think if we don't use the word individuals, but use the word persons, then to say that persons are developed in community and the community is as rich as the multiplicity of its persons make it. So the more community, the more personal individuals can be and the less individualistic. Too, too often we think the alternative to being individualistic is to lose your individuality. I think you lose your individuality if you try to be too individualistic. You, you, to be a person is a much richer concept than that. Yeah. But thank you. I'm so glad the research supports me and thinking Korea is, has a real opportunity of illustrating. But it's also very important that in South, and I don't know how far this goes, that in South Korea, you have smaller units than the nation as a whole, which also function as communities. And I think the family system is still working in Korea. In, in the way it's broken down with so much of the West. And the, the family is the smallest community that most people are in. And then there are still villages in, in Korea, aren't there? Yes, we have. And, and, and the village is a community of those families. Right. Yeah. So we need the, we need the communities at all levels. And I think Korea is, is not, I mean, of, of course it has been modernized and lots of loss, but also some gain. And it, its economy is in excellent shape. It's, I mean, it's a rich country. Mm -hmm. Whereas China, although China has vastly reduced the percentage of its population that is really poor. Hmm. It still has a very important task in getting rid of poverty. I think South Korea has already gotten that. So it's a remarkable opportunity. It is, it is. Thank you so much. Uh, just to mention that uh, we can follow up uh, with you, Reverend Dongu, on the author name, and we're happy to uh, uh, like, uh, give it to, to our audience in the description as well for people to have. Absolutely. Them. I'm going to send it to you uh, through email. Great. Uh, at this point, uh, Michelle, did you have any uh, a question? Yes, um, it's uh, not exactly a continuation of what you just said, but I'm I'm a bit concerned about how we we see the relation between humans uh, and nature. Yes. Um, so maybe I'm wrong, but so my sense is that before, you know, we we were a bit anthropomorphic, right? We we put humanity at the center, uh, and anthropocentric. That's what I meant. Sorry. 
Um, and so we started seeing, especially with capitalism, nature as a resource. Uh, on the other hand, I'm also a bit worried about the other extreme, which is kind of about effacing yeah. uh, sometimes. That's what at least what, what I feel, the effacing the difference between humanity and, and other living beings, yes. right? Um, so I um, so my question is, how do you see that? How what is the right relationship uh, between humanity and let's say you know the other beings uh, that make up our, our planet? And I deal and, with and that life. only very little in the paper, but I do deal with it. The um, uh, the the the, the realization that especially modernity, but I think all civilized peoples up until now have drawn a sharp line between themselves and all the other creatures and have looked at the other creatures primarily in terms of their relationship of their contribution or creating problems for human beings. So anthropocentrism has characterized almost civilization as such. And to, uh, so when, when we are asking the, the term that we use in China and uh, are using in the United States quite a lot is ecological civilization. And that means that we are part of an ecology uh, the, the Pope used the language integral ecology, that human beings are part of an ecology. So when we talk about the whole, it's not simply the human whole. It, it is a whole that includes others. And then, of course, the question of what others and to what extent. And I think the answer has to be all others, but nevertheless, my, I, I, I think that the value of any individual entity is its experiential value. Experience is valuable, and some experiences are more valuable than others. And just out of in our own lives, we feel feel that way about it. And uh, the experience of some animals is more valuable than, say, the experience of some insect. There's a hierarchy, a gradation, I think. Hierarchy is the wrong term. It sounds like it's a power relationship. But there are gradations of value. And I personally have no problem swatting a mosquito. I mean, sometimes I miss it, but I mean, morally speaking, I consider my enjoyment of life more important than the mosquito. But uh, I've stopped eating animals. And diet, there are many reasons for taking, for thinking very seriously about our diet, the health factors and so forth. But, but the, when, when I realized that our relationship to most of the animals that we ate was an industrial, we are, we are manufacturing meat. The fact that there were living animals with their own experience, their own pleasure and pain, their own relationships to other animals and to human beings sort of disappears from my mind. Uh, I, in other words, I, I am, my life is affected by my sense that the animal life is valuable. But I still eat seafood. I don't think that there is as much um, interior value in a fish as I do in a cow. And I may be wrong, you know, I mean, the, the, these are not things that it's easy to quantify. But, and, and I also think that the miserable existence, which the cows that are being produced for purposes of, of our eating them uh, uh, often have, and certainly pigs and 
chickens, so forth. It's maybe even worse. I don't think a fish's life is that miserable. And to make the whole life miserable is a lot worse than killing it. Anyway, th those are reflections of mine on, on the topic, but it's a topic that deserves far more than an ad hoc answer like this. Thank you. Um, Rock, I have another question, if you don't mind. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I, go ahead. So uh, I think that when I, I read your um, abstract, you talk about the, the God life, right? You, you, so there's a kind of explicit religious, uh, and of course, it's, you know, your theologian that, that is yeah. entirely yes. within uh, uh, to be expected. But how, so how do you deal with secular people? So how does that? Uh, because you know, if you say uh, having the I'm God life to second, oh, you not hear? You don't hear me? Is the technical problem mine or? Uh, yes, because I, I'm not mute, so I, I'll repeat myself. Oh, so yeah, okay. So you, okay, so you you talk in your uh, essay about the God life, and certainly in the West, you know, there's a lot of uh, secular people that that not do not necessarily have a religious uh, identity or way of thinking so how do you see that kind of uh, collaboration uh, between people who are more religiously oriented yeah. and have a kind of sense of transcendence of a kind of vertical relationship you know with with the absolute and you know people who don't necessarily yeah. have that that experience or or that vision so how do you see that kind of just as you have, you know, Christian Buddhism relationships. So how's the kind of uh, religious secular relationship in your view? Yes. Well, of course, the word religion is very tricky. You see, my, my own view is uh, I call the, in the academic world, I talk about disciplinary for people in a particular academic discipline the, the belief system of that discipline becomes their theology. And of course, it's very unlikely that God plays a role. I'm, the, the, the atheism issue is for me quite different. I, I think it's, I think that, that, that um, the vast majority of religion, whether it includes the word God, whether you use the word God or not, is from a a good Christian perspective or Jewish perspective or Islamic perspective, idolatrous. Idolatry is treating as ultimate that which is not ultimate. But the fact that, and the vast majority of Christians do that. I mean, you, know, you understand, I mean, idolatry is a universal problem. And it's a, it's a greater problem than a theism or atheism. Many people would consider me an atheist because I don't believe I mean, the notion of an omnipotent deity to me is a blasphemy. But the, of course, from the point of view of so many Christians, that God is almighty is just a built-in part of that. So I'm, I'm often on the side of the atheists, but I think that the evidence both uh, well, uh, Heidegger is an atheist, okay, but Heidegger talked about the Rufnach four, and uh, I had quite independently been talking about the, the call forward. So phenomenologically, we agreed, and with people who agree with me phenomenologically, I can cooperate in all kinds of ways. But Heidegger said, finally, we call ourselves. And that's not how it feels to me. I think that that's, that's a place where his metaphysics determined his interpretation of the phenomenology. And I think it should be the other way. And uh, uh, similarly in cosmology, we now know that the universe is finely tuned for life. Okay, now people, 
people are really worried about bringing God into the picture or any kind of purpose into the picture, say, well, there must be trillions of universes. That's, that's the kind of leap that for, if there's no evidence whatsoever, and we can't even conceive of what it's like to be another universe that has no relationship to this. Uh, if you call that science, well, you can call it anything you want. I don't think that's science. You can just say, we don't know why. That's, that's all right, that's science. But I find that there's lots of evidence that purpose plays a role in the world plays a role in my life and plays a role in the cosmos. And I do. If there's purpose, I, I call that God. You, you could call it something else if you want. And because the word God has had this connotation of something up there and out there and beyond the universe, I mean, there's so many connotations of the word, it may be better not to use it. I'm more, I would like to save it. But another possible, some people would prefer the, the word great spirit. That, that's what the ind indigenous people here said. That's fine. I think there is a great spirit. Thank you so much. Uh, a great question and a great answer. Uh, I was just uh, wondering, probably the, uh, the God life might have been a typo. Uh, Meaning I think it was, should life. have been the good life. Yes, yeah. I think that 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 particular. Oh, I should. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, an, an excellent. Yeah, I don't know what the that. god life would be. <laughs> 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 thank you, thank you. I I, uh, I was a little puzzled, but mm. I could talk about the issue of God anyway, <laughs> and I'm glad to do so. To me, it's a very very important question. I think. Um, Heidegger did himself existential damage by having to having to say that he was the source of his own of the call. Mm. And in in German, the, the word, we translated authenticity, and authenticity is an inherently good thing, but identikeit is not. To me, it goes with an extreme individualism which uh, other people he's, he described as simply being mitzayin. I don't think other people are simply mitzayin. I think the relationship to the other person constitutes who I am. And I think that's more phenomenologically correct. I mean, I, in this sense, um, I think Heidegger had a metaphysics that influenced his the way he interpreted. So I'm, I, I, I don't want to be a believer in something if the evidence is against it, but I don't know what the evidence is against the fact, against the idea that we are affected by, the universe is affected by something which cannot be considered nature in the modern understanding of nature. I think once we've discovered that we are fully part of nature, we should have changed the way we thought about nature. I think God is part of nature, but that's a different meaning of, you know, I think by nature, we should just mean everything that is. Thank you. Rock, you want to go ahead with another uh, question? Yeah, sure. Um, so I thought maybe we could go back to kind of uh, like your main inspirations, John, uh, with regard to Alfred North Whitehead's work and, and particularly yes. like the, the specificity of process philosophy. Uh, I, yes. I would, I would uh, think that a lot of uh, people listening in um, are uninitiated in, in such thinking or maybe, you know, have have yeah. some intuitive sense about it, uh, but uh, not not perhaps under this name, etc. So maybe uh, we could just go a little bit into that, and and then maybe a follow up question for both would be kind of um, 
what are some of the institutions, organizations that uh, are carrying these ideas forward and perhaps uh, you yourselves are involved in as well? Well, the, um, the term process, the use of the word process to name it is not quite its choice. He calls it philosophy of organism, but then he titled his magnum opus process and reality. And it was very, I would say that the relation of Whitehead to the vast majority of Western philosophy is similar to the relation of Buddha to the vast majority of Indian philosophy. The Indo-European language makes us think that the world is make, made up of subjects. That, that is, I'm using subject now in the way of the subject of a sentence. Uh, it's um, almost, all, most of our sentences, not, I mean, you can find exceptions, but the great majority of our sentences begin with a noun or a pronoun. It may have some adjectives and so forth. And when you do that, then you think that there's, say, if I use the word I, and I do, I use it all the time, I've been using it today. And then I said, it, and it feels like, in some sense, it's the same I. I'm saying something now that's a little different from what I was saying five minutes ago, but I'm doing it, okay? Well, that gives a strong sense that the subjects of sentences refers to a substance, something that remains self-identical, that underlies all the variety and change. And in India, that was called the Atman. And it's the Atman that the Buddha discovered doesn't exist. And Whitehead also says it doesn't exist. And in China, that's not a problem because they never did have an Atman. The language doesn't, doesn't point in that direction. Uh, I, Again, I'm not a, a linguist who has studied all the different languages, but I, I grew up in Japan, and it was very different when uh, you, you heard a, an American talking Japanese and when you heard a Japanese talking Japanese. The word for I is watakshi. And you, the word watakshi appeared again and again and again. And, and when I spoke Chinese, I'm not, I'm not criticizing other people. I used it a lot, okay. But it's not very common for, for Japanese to use the word. And if, if um, it, it's, it just shows, and I think that just as Buddhism took root in China, it has never taken root in, in India. Uh, so Whitehead is sort of easily understood. I don't mean in every detail, but just basically process rather than substance. In China, that's not a problem at all. So 35 universities create centers to study Whitehead. In the United States, it virtually excludes them from participation mm. in the intellectual discussion. So that, that's where the word process got. It means uh, in science, for example, the vast majority of Western scientists are looking for substance. Now, at the subatomic level, they can't find it, so they just say it's queer, and then they don't discuss the, the metaphysics any longer. But the scientific evidence is that events are fundamental, and mass is a specific form that they take. But uh, when I talk to scientists and say that they resist it strongly, their view is mass is fundamental and energy is a property of mass. Then how can you have so many instances of energy where there is no mass? I mean, the logic is against them. The logic is clearly on Whitehead's side, but they don't like being told that. And uh, the way they respond is, Disappointing. I mean, I, I would like to think that scientists were more interested in evidence than in metaphysics, but it ain't true. 
we are all, we've all stuck in metaphysics. And it's very hard for Westerners. That's one, another reason that, the, that I have more hope for the East, to come to an honest acceptance of the evidence of science. I'm, and I, I, I mean, it's very hard to think against the language you use. Now, in the West, we had the influence of Hebrews, and that is also not a substance language. So it's an event language. The whole Bible is just stories and history and poetry and things like that. Can I ask you, John? Could I ask you how you how you fit in the notion of persons in in, in that yeah. philosophy? Because to oh. me, person actually does seem like, you know, there is something. Well, that is of, not of just there is some, yeah. events are something. I mean, events are not nothing by any means. Uh, every experience, when I my experience at this moment is an event. And my experience in the next moment is an event. And there's lots of continuity between them. And we can go into much more detail as to exactly how that continuity, but you know, this is not, not the place for an extended lecture. But a, a person, you could think of the person as a, the, the, the continuity of a, a series of events. And it, there's continuity, but there's also change. No. So I am very similar right now to what I was a year ago. But when I think of my experience as a two-year-old child, it's very difficult to find the identity there. I'm still influenced by that. Of course, the experiences we have as young children but uh, but it, it, I think it's just more realistic to say we're not absolutely identical with what we were when we were first born. We, we change. And uh, we are our experience. And that means unconscious experiences, non-conscious experience as well as conscious experience. But uh, I, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm trying to say Whitehead's thought is different. It takes account of what scientists have actually discovered. But the, most scientists won't accept it. They, they prefer just dismissing the most important part of physics as queer. I, I think uh, the West is pretty sick, frankly. When, when it's scientists cannot tell us the truth because they're stuck on metaphysics. And the uh, East does have a much better chance. And of course, Christian theology has that problem. I hope you don't think I'm excluding. The, but but it's, I think it, it has the tension between a Bible which is all about events and the Greek culture in which it developed from the very, very early day. And so in the Bible, you don't have any creeds, but to operate in, uh, in Greece, you had, to, you had to have belief systems. And of course, then the, because you think in substance terms, you think if the beliefs that people should have in the first century, you've got to always have them or you have betrayed the faith. You betrayed the faith when you just repeat the past. Thank you. So Christianity is a process. If, if you ask me, do I agree with any particular beliefs that Christians have said, have had in the past, well, I, I find some truth in them. But I, I don't think that they bind me now. Now I have to look at the world as realistically as I can. But I like to 
to think that seeing it as something that is changing and being open to what scientists discover and doing the best phenomenology I can is a better way than shutting myself up in an academic discipline and following the rules and excommunicating everybody who doesn't follow them. And I can assure you there's a lot more excommunication in the academic community than there is in the church these days. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Um, just, I actually like to just tell you an anecdote. Um, because I live in Thailand, I'm married, uh, you know, with a, a local uh, Chiang Mai woman. And when my kids were small, they would talk about themselves in the third person. Uh -huh. Okay. They they would say Chris is hungry, uh -huh. and and so for me that was really striking how the language exactly exactly determines so, how you see the world in an entirely different way. And yeah. I also heard that I I don't know Thai very well, but they they explained to me that you can't name every anything in Thai without indicating a relationship. Okay. And that's that, very interesting. Uh, it's a so totally so different you, worldview you than. Why I have more hope for. For yes. Ethan is being able to yes. accept the evidence that science has yeah. brought before us. Well, I, I see but COVID, the reaction to COVID as, as a That's sign. What I want the Koreans to do. I think yes. I want the Koreans to stop doing science in, in the Western way and do it truthfully. Um, thank, thank you for saying that. <laughs> I'm not sure. Is true in Korea, but uh, I hope it is. But uh, no, no, it isn't true yet. Uh -huh. and, you know, because science, modern science developed in Europe and developed in, in European languages, which are Indo European languages. And uh, obviously, people who don't have the science, my supper has arrived. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Have to learn, learn to understand it in the Indo-European language. Then the next step, which Koreans haven't made yet, but I'm asking them to do. Oh, okay. <laughs> we can improve on that. Right, right. Yeah, David Bohm worked very hard at doing that, mm -hmm. developing a, a language. Okay, I hope you'll excuse me. If yeah, I, thank you I, so much. <laughs> it, it's probably a good time to kind of round round up, uh, Rock, and maybe yeah. ask uh, Reverend Dongwoo to, you know, do some kind of localized uh, um, conclusion about how how all this kind of plays out in in your particular context. Hmm. Right. So, um, as Dr. Cobb uh, mentioned, um, no, no, no. Uh, let Let me uh, put it in other way. So. Rock uh, asked, asked the question about how we are relate this ideal and also the philosophy and theology into the reality in one organization and how we are doing it. And uh, as uh, Dr. Khan mentioned, um, the Center for Process Studies, uh, we are focusing more on the academia side. So um, we, we made a research academic researchers over there and they're trying to make the ideas and the relevant in this world and that is what we are doing in the center for process studies and uh, ecological civilization is a different entity and uh, in ecological civilization we agreed to the white Haitian idea and philosophy and at the same time we want to make it happen in the real life so we are trying to find more tangible and realistic way to actualize those ideas into our life. So we are uh, doing the, for example, um, we are doing the water uh, business, not business, but uh, water developing, the clean water developing uh, um, a project in Africa and also in Europe. We are trying to make more connections with the government side and uh, make 
the policy change. And also in Korea, we are working with the local government, specifically the Seoul Metropolitan Government and the Green Foundation, uh, which is our uh, good partners. And um, we are trying to make the way to bring this idea to the policy change uh, into real life. So that, 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 is the, that is the work that we have been doing. Uh, not only we're just talking in ideas and philosophical way in abstraction, but also we are want to um, uh, looking into the reality and, and trying to find a way to change the reality. So thank you. And thank you for the opportunity to be part of this great project. And this is exactly uh, what we want to do uh, in Korea. Thank you. Thank you. Rock, do you want to make some conclusion as well? Uh, well, I think that that's a very good way to, to kind of uh, uh, close up. Uh, I'm not sure if uh, John is joining us uh, momentarily or not. Uh, He'll be back, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, I'm not sure. So yeah. uh, it might be better for us just wrapping up. Yeah, yeah. sure. Well, then, uh, well, thank you so much, uh, Reverend Dongwu, for joining us. And of course, John, uh, hopefully, uh, Dongwu, you can extend our, our gratitude to him uh, as well uh, after his dinner. Um, Absolutely. It was a I, great pleasure. Um, yeah, hopefully we'll, we'll stay in touch and, and you know, um, forward these ideas uh, both on, on this side. Of course, this will be published on the Spiders platform uh, with, uh, you know, the references you've provided all throughout uh, books, articles, authors, uh, organizations. And hopefully this will be a solid basis for our listeners to also engage in uh, and yeah, the different practices that are out there that are forwarding these ideas that, that we just discussed. Um, and yeah, uh, thank you so much again. Thank you very much for a great opportunity. Yes, thank you so much. Um, and uh, Reverend uh, Dongwu, I, I also appreciate the uh, intercivilizational dialogue between an American and a Korean. I think that's, that's very hopeful that people can work, you know, from such a distance and a different background. Thank you very much.